Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hangnail, freelancing, gossip, nostril. The English language is full of weird and wonderful words. And The Illusionists, a popular show that delights in finding the stories behind them and exploring how we're using words and language today. It's brainy, but it wears its learning lightly, so it's not at all stuffy, overly academic or obscure. And a lot of that is down to its host. Helen Zortzman's been making podcasts since the early days, way, way back in 2007. And she's on her way to New Zealand for the first time to do some live shows. She was supposed to be coming here last year, but she got sick in Tasmania, like proper hospital sick, and couldn't make it. I'll talk to her in just a moment. First, though, here's an episode of The Illusionist that asks people, from DJ Funk to Casper Salmon, what it's like to have an unusual name. What's your name? My name is Paul Bay. As in... Bay, B-A-E. As in Bay, B-A-E. It's Korean, so it's actually pronounced Bay, which is how we say stomach oh. or tummy. Your name is Paul Stomach. Yeah, Paul, Paul Tummy. I was born hungry. But then in English, mid-2014, usage started peaking, as in like the internet's boyfriend. Yeah, I was near the end of my teaching career in high school, and that's when Bay really took off. I'm not saying that contributed to my early retirement, but <laughs> it, it did get really annoying. What happened? Whenever I got new students in or transferred to my class in 2014, especially when a girl transferred, I remember one, um, she transferred in. I go, hi, my name is Mr. Bay. And she said, she sort of smirked. And I thought, <laughs> what, what the hell does that mean? The day, I remember the day I figured it out. Um, a bunch of young girls were out, assembled outside my classroom and I could hear them whispering. That's not really his name, is it? He's got to be joking. Because before then, the big thing among my students was, you know, some once in a while, the cheeky bastards would call me Master Bay. Oh. That's their idea of funny. And I'd see them giggling and, yeah. you know, winking at each other. And I'd be like, okay, okay I get it. But the broad thing about having an unusual name is that it's a pretty effective substitute for an actual personality. I never had to develop one because people, you can just do anything and people kind of assume you're interesting or that there is some sort of grandiosity behind it. Very colourful character. I'm really very boring and quiet and the fact that I'm called Tiger, I think, does a lot to mask that. And be like, oh, wow, you're Tiger, interesting fellow. No, I'm not, though. But, you know, feel free to think that. It's also, I'm in this weird class of unusual name because, like, absolutely nothing else, demographically speaking, about me is unusual. (laughs) Like, boring, middle-class, white guy. When you have a name like Peregrine, you feel like... You have to be a writer or a painter or something. Um, and that actually, I think that's that's created a certain amount of baggage for me. It's, it's sometimes I feel it's almost like if you're going to have a name as interesting as that, then you need to be doing something interesting. And if you're not the most interesting person in the room, then how dare you be called something so weird? What's your name? Uh, my name is Dennis Funk. As in Funk. As in Funk. However you want to take that. <laughs> How do you take it? 
you know, because people do find it silly. I like to to take it as the music, like funk music. Like my name is Dennis Funk, but my middle initial is J. So I often do tell people that my name is DJ Funk so that it spins it like that a little bit. So the funk name runs in the family? I guess it does, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Does the funk run in the family? Does the funk run in the family? Oh, yeah, definitely. My name is Phoebe Judge. Yes, as in a judge. I feel pretty good about my last name. I think it's a pretty funny last name to have, considering I'm the host of a show about crime. I mean, I think it's a pretty strong name, Judge. It's much better than convict. My name is Casper Salmon. Yes, as in Salmon the Fish. It's a family name, but we're not named after the actual fish, which I think is an important distinction. Uh, It's not like there were salmon fishers in the family. It doesn't go back to a history of, you know, connection with the (laughs) fish. I think it comes from from Solomon. It's a derivation. Solomon, Suleiman, all of that. It's it's Jewish. But then it became salmon, stupidly, which isn't good. In what ways is it not good? Well, no, I mean, it's fine, but it's not it's not a, a very attractive or sort of noble name. It's a mighty fish. They're, they're very muscular. Yeah, it's a really good fish and a, a brave and determined fish and the finest tasting, I think, of all of them. But, but you just don't want to be affiliated with fish. Well, no, I, so I'm fine with it, but I do I do forget because it's my name that it is the name of a fish. So for me, I just walk around and I think, you know, this is my normal surname. And then I tell my name to people and they say the fish. And I have to think to myself, yes, of course, it's the fish name. My name is Cinnamon, as in the spice. How do I feel about it? I think I've felt conflicted about my name since I was small. Um, When I was a child, kids teased me about my name, donuts, buns, sticks, bark, etc. I guess I like my name now, although sometimes I feel like other people have some kind of romantic notion about what I'm actually like because of my name. So, yeah, maybe I have, like, name imposter syndrome or something. Some people also ask me if it's a stage name, and I have been told it's kind of a stripper name, so... Yeah, there's a lot of associations <laughs> that people have with my name. People have asked me whether I'm spicy and they think they're being smart or funny and sometimes it's hard to be cool about it when I've probably heard most of those things before because I've had this name <laughs> all my life. People kind of say one of three things when they meet me. Uh, first of all, you know, people always say, is that your real name? And I'm always like, yes, it's on my birth certificate. It's my government name, yes. Princess. Um, The other thing people usually say is, uh, are you really a princess? (laughs) And I I mean, I don't know. It's so corny that, I don't know, I just alternate between yes and no, depending on my mood. The other thing people say is, uh, you look like a princess, which I get that one less often. (laughs) And I'm not quite sure what that means. I just take it to mean that they think, I'm pretty, like pretty, pretty princess. But uh, I mean, I'll take that one. And I have gotten, oh, my pet's name is Princess. Like, that's my dog. And, you know, that's fine. (laughs) It's just an interesting thing to say to someone like, oh, yeah, that's my dog's name. People would say it wrong. And then they would say pedigree chum, which they always thought was um, quite funny. And, of course, peregrine falcon. And the the number of times that say peregrine falcon as if no one's ever thought of that. Of course, I then 
respond as if no one has ever thought of that. Peregrine Falcon, is it? No one's ever called me that. Wow. You say your name is Tiger, and then people are like, oh, I know one William Blake poem. Guess which one it is. It's Tiger, Tiger, Burning Bright, and then they just recite it at you. That's weird. Never heard that before. That's a rude thing (laughs) to do as well. Like, I've never learned anyone's name and then done a poem at them. How was it growing up with the name Casper Salmon? Growing up was okay because um, I went to school in France. Were you tempted to translate it for impact in France to Saumon? That could have been a way forward, but it depends on how you pronounce it in French because Salmon is best for teasing because if you if you pronounce it Salmon instead of Salmon, you could call me Qu'est-toi Salcon, which means piss off, you twat. <laughs> oh, so it's actually worse in French. <laughs> Well, it, it just, it it has that possibility if you want to take it. Um doesn't occur to everybody and it would be wrong for me to suggest it to people who haven't thought of it for themselves. Um, no, I did have a really annoying period in my late teens when my high school friends uh, at parties decided it would be very funny to interrupt my, yes, it's really Tiger, here's my licence, and go, oh, Gareth, are you... <laughs> Are you telling that story again about how you're called Tiger? Oh, this is our friend Gareth. He does this to everyone. It's a fake license. Don't worry about it. His name's Gareth. He's ashamed of it. And that's a really hard thing to walk back. (laughs) The Illusionist, episode 83, Yes, As In, produced and presented by Helen Zaltzman for Radiotopia. Now, Helen started The Illusionist in 2015, but by then she was already a bit of a veteran of the podcast scene. In 2007, she'd started her first show, Answer Me This, with her uni friend, Ollie Mann, who you might have heard me talking to on the podcast hour last year about his show, The Modern Man. Anyway, 12 years and 370 episodes on, and Answer Me This is still going strong. What's funny is that at the time we thought we were a bit late to the party because in the, in the British charts there were a lot of famous comedians already in there and we thought, ah, oh, there's no chance. But in retrospect, that was not the case. So what did you know about podcasting when you started? Oh, nothing. Um, I didn't know anything. I, I hadn't listened to them and I didn't know any other podcasters for really quite a long time, years and there wasn't that much information around, so we just had to start, which I think in retrospect was a good thing, because now I see people really getting very, very over-informed, and they panic because they see all these things that they think they have to do. And they're also aware of the shows that they like and they want to be like those shows. But the fundamentals have not changed in that you need something to record on and something to edit on and something to say and quite a lot of time. And that's pretty much it then everything is infinite variations thereof and over time i guess it becomes more and more natural for you you become more comfortable with the technology and i guess part of it is actually just finding your own voice being yourself and not being you on a microphone talking to somebody yeah absolutely and and i think i have slightly different personas on different shows or if i'm on other people's shows they're fairly consistent it's not (laughs) it's not a huge cognitive dissonance but yeah, it's continually learning. And um, I think that's a, a good thing. What's very nice is that it, it feel, the listeners think that you're their friend. And um, I think listeners can sense insincerity in audio easier than they can in other forms of media, which is interesting. But you're, you're just right there with them. And so I think they, they listen to things where there are people that they enjoy the company of. 
And feedback's quite an important, you know, that kind of community and it feeding back questions and things. It's important in both your shows, isn't it? Answer Me This and The Illusionist. Yeah, so Answer Me This is uh, it's, it's listener questions on myriad topics. So we had them involved from the very beginning, which, which at the time was a, a way to avoid us doing all of the work by ourselves and having to think up topics each episode. So it was a pragmatic decision because at that time, it wasn't automatic that every form of entertainment was asking you to interact with it because I wasn't on Facebook then. Twitter was still the internal messaging service of a failing audio company called Odeo. And I wasn't on that either. And uh, you didn't see news channels asking you to use a hashtag, for instance. So it was just very felicitous that we did that. But also it just helped build a community around the show. And that's that's a really lovely thing to have. And you, you get such an insight into people's lives. So if you're kind of voyeuristic, it's fantastic. And then how did The Illusionist come about? Because you'd been doing Answer Me This for, for a few years. And then you had yeah. the opportunity to join this big podcast network, Radiotopia. Yeah, because in Britain, there weren't really opportunities to make a living out of podcasting at that time. And my friend Roman Mars, who makes a podcast 99% Invisible, founded uh, Radiotopia. He wanted it to be like an indie record label, but for speech audio. And I knew he was a big fan of Answer Me This. And I knew that he wanted to work with me. So I'd had the idea for this show and I didn't want to have to make it for free for years. Like Answer Me This, because uh, that was uh, financially a terrible time in my life <laughs> it puts so a lot you were of strain doing it on for you. nothing were you answer me this was just what a like a just a, a project that you just did what to build your brand in inverted commas or, or you know you, yeah. you you didn't have any money coming in all that time after a few years we did but we it was indirectly useful because off the back of answer me this i got nicer jobs right but for a while it just seemed like you would never be able to make money off a podcast itself so when the illusionist started answer me this was making okay money i think it was paying for my time by then but not enough to live on. And so Roman came over to stay and um, he was very jet lagged and I took him for a walk around the park and I thought, get him while he's vulnerable. And I uh, pitched this show to him and he was like, yeah, yeah all right. Uh, I think they, he went back to PRX who helped run Radiotopia and uh, they tried to figure out whether they could get a bit of money to make it for a year and whether I would actually deliver. Because I think they were worried about people who would just make four podcasts a year <laughs> which is uh, yeah. insufficient. And um, and they thought, well, she's made podcasts for no real reason for eight years fairly, fairly regularly, so she can probably do it. You've got a track record at least. Because I guess it's really easy, well, not easy, but you can have an idea, but there's a big, big difference between having a good idea and being able to deliver on that consistently a show every week or two weeks or month uh, and do that absolutely. again and again and again. I was an absolute champion before podcasts of not acting on ideas that I had, which was partly laziness and I think probably partly fear of failing the idea. And at the beginning of Answer Me This, I think we did feel, and this is a common feeling when you first hear the podcasts that you make and you think, God, I sound so annoying and I hate my voice and everything I say is stupid. A lot of people never get over how disappointed they are at the first one and they never make another one but because there were two of us and because we'd already decided that we were going to come out every week we pushed through that pain barrier and I think just the regularity and and also it was never that fun I think if something starts as fun and then becomes less fun you might give up on it but if it was never fun you don't feel that sense of loss of fun 
I'm not making it sound like a good pursuit, am I? Now, come on, I've heard you. I, I, I read a review of you, and you may have seen this one. It said, your voice is the embodiment of a warm, fuzzy, <laughs> patterned cardigan. Have you read that review? <laughs> I think that's, that's a compliment, isn't it? I, I, I'm going to interpret it, <laughs> Take as, it one. as a compliment. Yeah, it depends on the context of the cardigan. I guess if it's high summer, then it's unwelcome. Or if someone's put it in your spaghetti sauce. And why did you choose language? What, what, why was that the subject that you went for? Uh, for The Illusionist, I'd always been very interested in language since I became verbal. And um, I went to the kind of school where we learnt Latin from the age of seven. And um, that was when I started thinking, oh, I wonder if that word's connected to this word. Oh, right. And yeah. I always found... I know. Oh, can you imagine? What a child. And um, I just always found etymology quite intuitive. And um, I studied um, a lot of linguistics related stuff at university. And then just after university, I applied for a job as an etymologist on the Oxford English Dictionary and didn't get it. So I thought that would be it for me and that subject forever. But in answer me this, we get a lot of questions about why is this phrase or why is this thing called this thing? And I always enjoy answering those things. So uh, I knew it was a topic that people were interested in and that I was interested in. And we, pretty much everyone alive uses language in some form. So I think it's possible to make everyone interested in it if you get them the right way. So some people are like, oh, that's a bit niche, but it's not niche if it's something that every person uses. Yeah, it's not an, it's not an academic approach to language, is it? Because, I, I mean, there are shows out there that are probably a bit more academic in their scope, but you're talking very much about how language is being used today and, and the vagaries of it and some of the just downright bizarre things we say <laughs> and why we say them. I mean, they're just ridiculous, some right. of the things, aren't they? Absolutely, and, and that's what I find interesting is really human behaviour. I'm not an academic, so I couldn't do that. And maybe if I had been more academically minded, I would have got that Oxford English Dictionary job and my life would have been totally different. But to me, the interesting question that I'm always trying to ask in every episode is why? Why is this thing happening? And I think often you just use you use language without necessarily having to think too hard about it. And then once you start thinking about it, you think, what, what? What on earth is going on? And you're, you're coming down to New Zealand and Australia in April, May and June, I think, aren't you? Yes, very, very excited. Never been to New Zealand before. Because you got to Australia last year and you were <laughs> going to come to New Zealand and I heard an interview with you with Kim Hill on, on RNZ where, you know, you were, you were coming over and things didn't quite go according to plan though, did they? No, just a couple of days after I talked to Kim, I, <laughs> I ended up in hospital in Tasmania and remained there for three and a half weeks. So uh, my trip to New Zealand was thwarted, but I'm back and I'm going to do shows, uh, Illusionist Live show, which is a bit of fun. How does that work? Because that's that's a show that you record live and then you put out on your podcast. No, no, no that's a show that only happens live. Ah, because because uh, it's different when you're talking to people down their headphones. Uh, it's very different because often I'm in the room by myself when that's happening, but when you're in a big room with them you have to do things a bit differently to make it worthwhile them taking out their headphones and going to a place for it's the It's a evening. performance, I guess, isn't it? In a, it's a performance, it, it, right. Yeah. yeah, give them something to look at because uh, I'm not visually very interesting, so you have to put put some slides up. My, my husband Martin does live scoring on stage. Just often when you're recording in a room with people, you're either playing to that audience so the people listening elsewhere feel very much like they're not part of it or you're thinking about the podcast and therefore the performance can be just a little bit drab 
So I like the fact that it's just a theatrical event, don't have to worry about it. And then later, I mean, I might rewrite some of it and record it as a podcast, but it's nice not to worry about that in the moment. Do you enjoy that aspect of things, the performance side of things? Because it must be quite different, what is essentially quite a solitary pursuit, you know, doing your podcast every week and you do it on the road and yeah, you do lonely. it all around the world. Yep. And it can be, I guess, <laughs> lonely, OK. Um, but to, to go from that into kind of uber performer mode, um, is that a challenge or is that something that comes quite easily to you? Yeah, it does come quite easy to me. I don't want to be hubristic about it and suddenly become someone who gets stage fright or... <laughs> Uh, I get overconfident and fall off a stage and break my face. But I was doing bits of performance before I was a podcaster, even kind of not exactly stand up, but stand up adjacent things. Like I, I wrote some little weird plays and I did on stage embroidery for a friend's theatrical run of her comedy show. So every night for 12 nights, I embroidered a different scene from her show. So weird things like that. And I've never really got stage fright, except for once when I had to sing at someone's wedding. But apart from that, it doesn't really happen. So it feels like quite a quite a laid back thing to do. Uh, and also they're pretty easy gigs to have a good time at because it's not like comedy where people have gone to a club and they're like, OK, make me laugh. The people who come are almost all people that have heard the show and they're already on my side, which is very nice. Helen Zaltzman of The Illusionist Podcast and those live shows are taking place in Auckland this Friday the 12th of April at the ASB Waterfront Theatre, then in Wellington on Friday the 26th of April at the National Library of New Zealand and finally in Christchurch on Wednesday the 22nd of May at the Maryvale Lane Theatre. You can find more details if you go to rnz.co.nz forward slash podcast hour now. Thanks for listening to the podcast hour from RNZ. If you're finding it helpful to find new stuff to listen to, then please do consider rating or reviewing us with as many stars as you can manage wherever you get your podcasts from and tell your friends and family about us too. And if you're writing a review, then do let us know what you like about the show or how it could be improved. So if you'd like to hear longer clips, more interviews with the people making the shows that we feature... And if four shows is about the right number to highlight each week, that kind of stuff, it would be really helpful to know. Thanks a lot. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend that I don't right (laughs) now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel.